Hi, I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. On the show today, we have Joanne Garza Mayberry, a Texas game warden with over 19 years of experience in Caldwell County. The full unedited video of this podcast is on our sponsors page, GibbAgencyDallas.com. We talk more about the potential dangers of being a game warden, and we do a lot more talking about self-publishing. So if you're interested in those two things, definitely go to our sponsors page, GibbAgencyDallas.com, to check it out. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi. I'm Susanna, owner of Gibb Insurance Services. Yes, I am the same person. For over 25 years, we have served our clients all over the great state of Texas. As an independent insurance agency, we are rooted in the community we serve, and we're there for the good times and the bad. We hear so many inspiring stories worth sharing. The Gibb Agency is proud to support and promote the talented people that live and work in our community in Dallas and all of Texas, the star that shines brightest. And now, on with the show. Joanne Garza Mayberry, Warden Mayberry, thank you so much for being with me today. She is the game warden in Caldwell County and author of a series of children books based on her experience as a fish and wildlife conservation officer. Thank you for readjusting your schedule to be with me. I appreciate it. There, no problem. Happy to be here. So you made international news recently, and this is actually from the UK, which said, Texas game warden removes eight foot alligator. People had been raising it as a pet. And that's the quote that I saw when I was like, I have got to talk to her. Can you tell us a little (laughs) bit about how you came to find the alligator? An eight foot alligator is not a small thing. No, it's not. So um, a lot of the time in our job, we receive calls or sometimes it's just something we fall upon in the hunting season, in particular for this story. And I had received a call in that area about somebody who was hunting without landowner consent. And it was brought to me because there was a picture from a game camera from a landowner who didn't recognize the person in the picture. And, and so what we do as game wardens, if nobody knows who this person is, is we start knocking on doors to see if we can identify the person in the picture so we can question why they were on this property. Um, and then at that point, it's up to the landowner if they want to pursue filing charges against them for either trespassing or hunting with that landowner consent. So that's exactly what I was doing. I was knocking on doors. Uh, you're hoping, or I'm hoping as the game warden, that the door is going to open and it's going to be this person in the picture and, you know, case closed. But uh, most of the time, they don't know who it is or they're not going to tell me who it is. And so you just keep knocking on doors. I would assume people lie to you all the time, don't they? Totally not me. (laughs) I didn't do it. Yes, they do. I mean, because nobody wants to be in trouble. And sometimes they realize, oh, I guess I wasn't supposed to be over there or I had crossed the property line. You know, just because there's not a fence doesn't necessarily mean you're still within your property or a property you had permission to be on. So that's how I came across that that one residence. So was the alligator in the front of no, the house no, it or the was back well of the house? In the back. And so, yeah, so I basically went to that house and knocked on the door. Um, but it was a, a house where um, you could tell that they used the rear entry for their common entry, not the front door. And so I went behind the house to access the door. And that's when I observed the alligator. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for this conversation. Um, Excuse me, (laughs) ma'am. Did you know, obviously they know, that you have an eight foot alligator in your yard? And did you know that it's illegal? Like, what did they say? 
It's not me. It's not my alligator. <laughs> yeah, it's more like, um, oh, you caught me, you know, um, kind of situation. You know, at the time, um, the the person was very sick, very very sick, um, on hospice care, and so it wasn't some. It went through a long process of trying to get them or family members to pursue attempting to get a permit because Texas Parks and Wildlife does offer three permits to possess an alligator, but they have to be zoological, educational. Um, they have to be for the purposes of education or, um, you know, there's a farmer's permit as well, a scientific permit, which is mainly through colleges. So we wanted to see first, you know, can we make it legal? I read that and I wondered that I saw in, in the article that it said you had tried to get them a permit and I wondered what the issue was of why they couldn't and that that makes sense now. So yeah, we, we tried to make it legal. It didn't work out for her. And so then we went through the process of, all right, what do we do with it at this point? You know, because a lot of times when alligators get that big, there's no safe option and we're not going to um, endanger either the people trying to capture it um, or relocate it when uh, it sometimes just needs to be euthanized because of the situation that the owner put it in, not, not our situation. Um, but in this case, since it had been a pet, it was, it was more tame, never seen another alligator before. Um, it was used to her interactions with it. What kind of interactions would she have with it? I mean, how close can you get to an alligator? <laughs> she would go in there and she'd feed it, you know. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> so my first thought was, let's take it, let's offer it back to the facility that she took it from originally. And um, and there was some um, some back and forth there. And then they, they gladly accepted it in the end. Um, and we were lucky that it was a female, even though she thought this whole time it was a male, it was a female, because it's hard to introduce a male where there's alpha males. And so there's alpha males at that zoo it went back to. And so it wouldn't have had as great an opportunity or a chance um, as it did a female. So the female, um, she went back there and, and um, you know, we didn't see any issues. And, and you know, I was thinking on, on my way home after that whole incident, you know, that's the first time she's ever seen an alligator. She's never, ever, you know, been around another alligator. She's only known humans. So I can't imagine how scary that would be for that little, for that gator. I say little because the ones in there were really big, <laughs> but she was pretty large. And there's no way that she could have gone back to the wild She's never, you know, she's never had to go search for food or whatever. And then, too, when they're that big, we don't want to relocate them into a natural water body source because um, we just don't want to endanger the public either. So there's a lot of considerations that you have to take. Was was the lady, um, you mentioned hospice, but I don't know if she was still on hospice. Were they sad to see Tiwa? I guess Tiwa was the name. Were they sad to see her go? Oh yes, absolutely so, and um, and she was she had she had recovered too, um, her health had recovered. So yeah, she was very sad because that was her pet that she'd had for many many years. So, but she she was happy that it wasn't going to be euthanized, um, that it was going to a facility that's not far from her, so she could visit regularly. Um, and it seems like the the director at the animal farm 
was happy to have her. Um, he told her, you can come whenever you want and visit. So um, I, I'm, I'm sure she's probably already visited at this point. <laughs> it just, you know, there's so many fun and interesting things in Texas. I really only think Florida probably has us beat for people doing nutty things, truly. Yeah. When you go out on these um, calls, you are totally by yourself, right? Like game wardens don't, you don't have partners. You're mostly solo, right? Right. It depends. You know, some counties, especially our coastal counties, they'll have more game wardens. So they'll have five, six game wardens because they're also having to deal with the commercial aspect of fishing um, on our our bays and um, out on the coast. But in my county in particular, it is a one warden county. It's always been. So, yes, I was by myself. Um, when I take calls and by myself in that particular situation, um, when I go make contacts at residence, um, the day we we uh, seized the alligator, though, I was not by myself because I needed assistance for that. So, <laughs> Because you are solo, there are times when you really have to be careful and be aware of the situations that you're going in. Have you had many situations mm-hmm. where you felt threatened or just been like, you know what, not today? Well, I mean, there's a lot of situations, you know, we train for these situations um, and there's situations that I've uh, I've been in where I've just been overly cautious, overly aware. Um, and you have to be as a game warden because, you know, since I don't have a partner, my backup would be the sheriff's office or a local constable. If I'm within the city, um, it would be a city police officer. But um, most of my interactions are out in the county in very rural areas. So I always have to keep that in mind that, you know, if you if you need assistance, it's 15 minutes away. And can they find you? Because I'm not at an address. I might be out in some, you know, farmland or pasture, something that, you know, does not have an address. So there are situations where, um, you know, you have to be super, super cautious and aware. Um, and then there's situations where I, I'll assess it and think, you know what, I'm going to come back when I have somebody with me because there's game wardens in the counties surrounding me. Um, some of them are also one warden counties. So we rely on each other for stuff like that, where we think this is a chance I don't want to take by myself. So let me come back with somebody else. And maybe that's, I call them right then and they're there in 30 minutes, or maybe it's, we come back on another day. So, um, so I, I always try to keep that safety in mind for myself um, and for others too, you know, because when you're going into hunting camps or sometimes when you're checking people fishing, you know, hunting camps, they all have a firearm, you know, um, when they're fishing, they all have a knife. So um, those are things we have to be aware of and, and conscientious of, but also we're not, we don't see the firearm and, and think, oh, this is an immediate threat. You know, they're using it for recreation most of the time, but it can be used for um, illicit purposes as well. So you just have to keep all of that in mind. Of the percentage of people that you talk to, because I know that's kind of part of what you do is just going to, hey, you got your license, what you doing today? How's it going? Like it's, you, you that's part of your job is to ask people questions. What percentage of those times are you met with hostility? I would say a very small percentage of it, uh, maybe 15% of that time. And usually what I have found in my experience is that 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 percentage of people who are, who are upset immediately from the onset have something to hide because otherwise, why are, why are you angry with me? You know, um, game wardens are very proactive. So we're not 
necessarily receiving calls and then going to calls. We are going out proactively to look for people doing the right thing. Like we want you to be doing the right thing. We love when you're doing the right thing. And sometimes you're not doing the right thing and we'll, we'll have a talk or, you know, and we'll see what, where that goes from there. But, um, but a lot of times when they're angry, um, it's because of that, or a lot of times because they've had a bad experience with law enforcement and they just assume, you know, we're, we're going to do, we're going to harass them or something like that, you know, and, or they've seen something on TV and they think, uh, they think badly of law enforcement. So that's my opportunity to show them, hey, you know, I'm just here to make sure everything's going well, that you're following all the rules and regulations. Um, and then I'm going to tell you to have a good day. You know, I'm not here to, to bother you. The last thing I want to do is get in your way. I want you to enjoy our resources. So you, you've been a game warden for 19 years, so I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes. When you first started how many other women game wardens were there? So I would say around 10-ish when I became a game warden. And now there are? There are, I think, from what I've heard, there's uh, over 40, a little over 40. So maybe 41-ish um, female game wardens now. Do you feel like over the course of your career and whether Me Too has affected it, how people... Or maybe it's just, I know people interact with me differently as I'm older and my confidence levels changed, but as far as how people interact with you as a woman, do you think it's different than how they're interacting with maybe your male game warden counterparts? No, I, I certainly see a shift where there's more acceptance um, and um, and more courtesy, but um, but there's always some who think you know women women don't belong in law enforcement. So um, so there's always that bridge you have to to uh, pass with those people, and uh, and I know initially you know even even to I would say within the past year where I would get calls and I would answer hello and they would say can I speak to the game warden. And I would say, you're speaking to the game warden. And they're like, oh, well, um, can you put your husband on the phone? Like <gasps> if I was answering the phone. You know? So I'd say, um, well, I can, but he's not a game warden. <laughs> and so then, but that was always followed by apology. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, you know, and I think in people's head, uh, game warden is a male. So, you know, honestly, none of that bothers me at all like uh, I get called sir a lot and I know I don't look like a sir but I just go with it and then at some point they say oh my gosh I'm so sorry and I'm like it's okay just, let's move on you know we're, let's continue the discussion <laughs> so none of it bothers me I find no offense to it um, but and I think that it, it's very well except especially because I've been here so long that um, you know, especially in my immediate area, my community, my county, um, people are very positive with game wardens and very supportive. That's awesome. So the crazy stories that you have about the alligators and people falling off boats, I'm assuming those did not make it into your line of children's books that you wrote. Those <laughs> seem <laughs> a little bit different. Right. Tell us about the premise behind those books. So a couple of years ago, um, we do a lot of programs in schools where we go talk to kids. And this one was a particular reading program. They wanted me to go read a book 
um, about my career. So that's what ev- all of the guests that they were coming in with books about their career. And so I said, sure, absolutely. So I jumped on Amazon and I jumped on Barnes and Noble and I just couldn't find a game warden children's book, which surprised me a lot because I thought, why isn't there a game warden children's book? You know, we have our police officer children's books. There were even forest ranger, park ranger, which we are not. Um, But there was no game warden, conservation wildlife officer children's book. And I thought, well, hmm, that's something that I could do, you know, Um, but but I had no idea at the time how work, how much work that involved. <laughs> so um, I wrote the books and the books are all about safety. So the boating book is about water safety and the hunting book talks about all the steps the little boy takes um, to, to prepare himself um, for the hunt, you know, starting from um, target shooting and taking a hunter education class and um, learning how to to see where deer had been in his area, his hunting area. So, um, so, so all of that was, that was really, you know, I wanted to put that information out there. So not only are they learning about hunting, but then the game warden comes in at the end. And so there's always a little, a little, there's a little conflict in the story. And then the game warden comes and they have a good talk about it. And then in the end, they've learned a lesson. So every story is like that, including the fishing story, um, where she learns she wants to be independent and she wants, wants to learn how to tie her own knot and to bait her own hook. And then uh, Warden Caldwell comes in and he has a good talk with them. So um, it's spe- the books are special. They're also personal. Um, it took me a long time to decide what to name my game warden, um, whether he would be a male or a female. Um, and ultimately, I went with a male just because I thought that that would be more widely accepted, but all of the the books have a very strong female in them. So um, in my fishing book, that's my little girl. Her name's Callie, and Callie's a strong-willed little girl. In my hunting book, the little boy goes hunting with his mom, not his dad. And then in the boating book, um, the game warden Caldwell's partner is a female game warden. In that book, I particularly like that I have the mom operating the boat the whole time. So usually, you know, in general, the mom might back the boat down, but then the dad takes over operation, but the mom operates the boat the whole time. So um, so I wanted to make sure, you know, that I had that diversity in characters in all of the books. Did How long did you debate between going with the male game warden and the female game warden. I had to think that a lot of your family was encouraging you to make the character like, like you, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, a long time actually. And I thought that I, I don't want this book to be about me. You know, I wanted it to be about the, the wider message. The bigger picture was getting the education out there. And so I thought in making it a female game warden, it would be super cool, um, but since there are no other Game Warden children's books out there, um, I really wanted him to to be representative of what what you more commonly see. But I kept all of that in mind when I created my other um, characters in the books because you know when you write a, when you write a I guess a and I've never written a, just a regular adult book or whatever, um, but when you write a children's book you are a blank slate and once your characters are created your illustrator says all right what do they look like and so that's where you start going okay and they want every detail 
Did you self-publish this book? Yes, I ended up self-publishing the books. And the pictures came out really beautiful. I love the pic my favorite pictures. I do pictures. too. I love the illustrations. They're so uh, good. And it's Thank you. They're they're it's perfect for kids, honestly. It's there's a just enough detail to make it interesting, but it's not it's like a drawing. It's not it's not a photo. Right. Which is fun. Uh, yes, I agree. And I I was really happy with it with the the way they came back. There was a lot of editing in between, you know, because my illustrator didn't know anything about hunting, fishing, or boating. So even the most finite things that you think are so clear and the picture would come back and I'd be like, that's not what was here, but that's not how it came out, you know? So there was a lot of um, Google pictures <laughs> traded back and forth. So better understand no this this is what I'm talking about you know like even in the in the boating book I wanted to make sure that the mom wore a kill switch which is the little red uh, it's usually red the red coil around your wrist so if you're ever thrown from a boat the boat turns off automatically so I just wanted to make sure all of those details were incorporated in the book and of course she had no idea what a kill switch was so yeah. just a, a lot of that how has the self-publishing how has it gone so far, it's been really great. You know, the initially when I first came out, all I did was make um, a public Facebook post on my own uh, page. And, and that got shared and shared and shared because I have so many common, you know, gay Morden friends or, or people who are in the wildlife conservation circle. Um, and so, so they were, they took off really. They did very, very well. The sales have been really positive. And I have received so many idea, new ideas as people are like, you know, you, sh you should write a book about this, you know. And so um, I probably have four or five other ideas that are stewing up here, plus a younger kid's book, you know. So um, there's a lot of potential for more books, but we'll, we'll see. I want to kind of give it a, a little break right now. <laughs> You could you could write a book about how a game warden goes out to a house and finds an alligator that has to be removed as a pet. That has been presented. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me. I wish you all the best. Uh, congratulations on, on your books. I can't wait to see more and definitely keep us posted on all the things that you have going. Great. Thank you, Suzanne. It was so nice talking to you. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with us, go to GibAgencyDallas.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we look forward to being with you again soon.